voice, call me, please step out, come to the line. Ballet bridge words of comfort, seen it just hides her eyes. Policeman taps the shades and sell a Chevy 69. How bizarre. How bizarre, how bizarre. Destination unknown as we're pulling for some gas. You ready? I'm you ready. fresh? I'm fresh. You feeling good, dude? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Welcome, dude. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on, JP. Welcome to um, another episode of the Broners Podcast. I feel like I can announce this shit better than you. Do it. I'm not going to do it. Just no, it's, it's some bullshit right I don't there. want your listeners to come start following my shit. Mm, I, I bet I can do this better than you. Try it, bitch. <laughs> That's what Go I thought. Ahead. That's what Keep I thought. Keep talking nice things about me. I'm never coming on your fucking show again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is um, one of my old friends, JP. He, we used to be friends. With, then we stopped being friends after I beat him up in jujitsu one time. And he's held Let it me against me ever right since. There. Let me st- stop you right there, Scott. Uh, Scott goes through friends every six months. <laughs> um, so it's just I was the flavor of the month. Well, you were the flavor um, of six months. Six months, basically. And then after that, I've been clawing to hold on to this relationship. I'm on to my second house now, and one of my newborn sons, he hasn't seen anyone. The kid just turned five <laughs> years old yesterday. So bullshit. that tells you about how much, how fun, how close friends we are <laughs> today. Uh, that's bullshit. I've seen Johnny like twice, dude. Yeah, uh, I don't remember when. It's not my fault you decided to up and move yourself to like uh, where all the rich people live now. Hey, you know, when you get these to kind the of east blessings, side. You, when you got these kind of blessings, bro, that's the way it goes. To the east side. Bless up. Is that what you, the young people say nowadays? I don't know. Mm. I'm not young enough, man. Mm. Talk to your girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> she'll know. <laughs> I think so, she's about to turn 17. <laughs> fucked up <laughs> <laughs> so jp dude let me do a little intro this is jp he's my flavor a la six months ago now we've been five friends years ago we've been friends for like five years how long it's it's been longer than that because jesus I'm, christ you're a fucking moron we've been friends for nine years bro yeah dude it's been a minute it's been a minute nine years since we've been friends since 2012 how am i still talking to you right now because I've literally injected myself every corner and turn into, of your into life. my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fucked up. No, but uh, JP, I wanted to let's get serious, dude. Let's get serious. I wanted to bring JP on so we could talk about some shit that's been going on recently. Um, JP is, is an expert in some fields. Um, some would call them street pharmacology. Others would call them um, unlicensing know. practicing physicians. Licensing practicing street unlicensed physicians. street physicians. Uh, unlicensed unlicensed physician. Yeah. Now JP used to used to slang drugs, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what the I guess you could call it. Used um, to slang it. I used to uh, I used to sell drugs for a living. Real talk. Um, this is serious. we're being dead ass right now. Yeah, dead ass. Dead ass. Um, yeah, I used to, uh, I used to have a different life uh, many years ago, and I, uh, I used to sell uh, the cocaine, the co- the cocaine, the cocaine, the uh, 
the that white girl. Yeah, the girl. They call it the skinny girl, the white girl. What is the name for it? Mm, I don't know. Uh, You're not hip with the jive of the times now. No, you know, I just don't. I've been so far removed from it, but I'm not, you know, I'm one bad decision away, but, <laughs> you know, um, probably doing this podcast is going to cause me to use. So, yeah, you're going to be right um, back on it? Yeah, I'm going to go right to it right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you know, uh, yeah, it's been a while. It's like I don't even keep up with that shit anymore, you know. Uh, I got better things and in, 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 in more important things going on in my life. But, you know, it is a part of my life, and I'm not a, I'm not ashamed of it. Um, so that's why I don't mind talking about it. I think it's something that happened for a reason. And, you know, today I'm a better person because of it or a better version of myself because of it. So, so talk about <clears throat> what I really want to talk about today is like substance abuse and, and people that struggle with substance abuse and people that work in healthcare or just work professionally and are still, um, addicted and that are suffering from the disease of addiction. And yeah. so my friend JP here. Um, he, um, actually I'll just let you tell the story. What, tell, start from the beginning, dude. <clears throat> I'll start from the, t- I'll, I'll just can, kind of give you a little where I'm at right now is, you know, I just celebrated nine years in October. Congrats, um, dude. You know, a big part of my story is that I couldn't identify with being an addict because I just thought addicts were people who shot, you know, drugs into their arms or, you know, did stuff to get them onto the streets and stuff like that where, you know, I was working in a professional environment and getting raises and promotions. And I showed up every day for work, no matter how bad I used the night before or how bad my addiction had got, I still showed up to work and maintain a job. So it was really hard for me to identify. And, you know, kind of where my story starts is, um, I was an addict raised by addicts who were raised by addicts. My whole family is in recovery. Everybody that I know on both sides of my family either are an alcoholic or a drug addict or are in recovery. Um, <clears throat> and so I grew up understanding that there was a program for alcoholics because my mother would uh, take me there. She got exposed to um, <clears throat> Alcoholics Anonymous probably back in the early 80s uh, when she was just a teenager um, in South Florida. So you know, I spent most of my life with her, at least in and out of the rooms, because she would get a little bit of time clean or sober, and then she would, of course, relapse, um, and we were there, you know, front row. Uh, so I, I grew up my whole life knowing that, you know, there's something inside of me that could be triggered from drinking, and my dad was an alcoholic, um, and my mother was an alcoholic, and. Uh, you know, so basically I was raised or passed on from people in my family uh, that could handle me at the time. I have a younger sister, uh, around three years younger than me, and I have a brother who is 12 years younger than me, but we'll get to that later. And so, you know, most of my life I got thrown around from family member to family member, you know, in different states and um, kind of never had a place to call home. I didn't stay out of school for more than one year. I actually went to so many schools. I actually went to the same school as Scott did in West Palm. Um, <laughs> which one? Wait, fig- which which one was it? We talked about this already. It's Kirkland. Yes, the Pirates. The Pirates. The Kirkland Holy Pirates. shit, I totally forgot about that, JP. Do you know they tore that school down and built a new one? No way. Yeah, it's still called Kirkland, but it's built on the property that was like the field behind the school. Oh, moving on up, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's where that time in my life was probably around 1993 or so is kind of where 
stuff started getting real hard for me um, as, as a as a young young kid. You know, I was nine years old. Um, my mom would be my mom was always a waitress growing up, and so you know, with my dad out of the picture, um, you know, we had to take ourselves to school every morning. I came with this bright up idea, bright idea that I would just go to school and drop my sister off, and then walk back home and watch police academies all day. Police um, academies? Yeah, police academy. It's a old um, like movie. a sitcom. Oh, the oh yeah 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 with the guy that police does like the sound effects and shit. Yeah yeah, he's one of them. Yeah, so. Yep. I would basically sit at home all day doing fuck shit and uh, watching Police Academy, and then uh, I would go get my sister. And finally, you know, my mom caught up with that, and you know, that's where it kind of started for me was you know getting over on the system or being defiant. So I just stopped going to school altogether in about the beginning of third grade. Third grade, um, you're just like fuck it. The thug was, life chose me at third grade. You know, I um, I just got to the point where I was getting, I, I was at the age where I just didn't <clears> give a shit anymore. Um, where I could just talk to my mother however I wanted and run from her when I, when she wanted me to pay the consequences of it. Dude, how old are you in third grade? You're nine, nine years old. I was nine in third grade at that time. Yeah, you're nine years old, and you're like, I'm tired of life. I'm tired of bullshit. I'm just, just like, you know what? I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want to do whenever I want to do it. And at nine. At nine. Could you yeah, fucking yeah. imagine? <clears throat> well, my son's nine now. I'm saying, could you imagine yeah. if he was just like, fuck you? <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would cuss my mom out. I would run from – and that, that wasn't like an everyday thing. That was like a big fight we would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I didn't like her drinking, so when I would see alcohol in the refrigerator, I would just put it all on top of the stove and turn all the burners on and leave the house. Jesus Christ, that's a good way to blow the place up. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, or I would destroy my room or uh, destroy the front yard. I would just act out in any way I could. Um, how long did your mom – how long did your mom uh, go – Drinking without any like uh, real lifestyle change. Oh, it's immediate for my family, um, you know, because it's a progressive disease, and so what ends up happening ultimately is that my mom ends up doing some crazy ass shit that causes the the police or um, DHS, but it used to be called HRS back in the day, I to get that. involved. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that my mom could handle on a daily basis, so she. Once she would start, it wouldn't be a matter of time and maybe a month or less where she would end up drinking too much and do some crazy like kick a cop or, um, you know, fight her sister to almost the death, cuss out the neighbors, you know, shit like that. You know, so what would end up happening ultimately is that uh, she would do something crazy. She would get arrested. I think one of the last times I lived with her. She got into a really bad car accident. Uh, she left us there at the house in the trailer to go uh, get some beer at like maybe 12 or 1 o'clock at night. And she was making an illegal U-turn. And another car that was drinking and driving on military trail slammed into her, cut her car in half, almost killed her. The drunk dude pretty much walked away from it. And uh, now, you know, she's in the hospital with a broken pelvis. Um and we're going to visit her. And the guy who hit her went to jail for DUI. And when he got out, he brought her flowers and they fell in love. No way. Yeah. And they ended up having my brother. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know about this, dude. Yeah. So they ended up having my brother. He was a heroin addict and a drunk. So, you know, that's when my mom really started experimenting with harder drugs. Um, 
and and ultimately he was a good guy without using he was a great a great i guess guy my mom was dating mm-hmm. uh he treated us good and he wasn't like any of these other assholes <clears throat> but you know ultimately he is uh with this disease is a, is a progressive disease, so it's not going to stay the same. So, you know, at the end, it's gels, institutions, and death. So, uh, for, what do you, what do you for, mean when you say that a progressive disease? It doesn't get, it doesn't stay the same. It gets worse as time goes on. It, it, it's no, like, you're going to start off drinking a beer, one beer. You're not going to start, you're not going to finish your life with just drinking one beer a day. Right. You know, and it's not going to just start with beer. Uh, you know, may, it may be your drug of choice will be alcohol, mm-hmm. but there's other people who start off with alcohol and they move to marijuana or they move to heroin or crack or whatever their drug of choice is. Uh, my family, <clears throat> on my mom's side, it's basically anything. The, anything to get outside of ourselves. So we don't have to deal with anything that's going on in our life. I remember using at an early age, I would huff uh, butane with my friends. Like, like for the lighters? The lighters, the aerosol one, not the liquid one. So what we would do is we would put it between our teeth and actually inhale butane. What the and fuck? It, and it would get you lightheaded, and it would make you talk funny. And we would literally would walk down the street doing that. We would go to different places and steal the steal cans of butane. So you that. guys were just like, you saw the balloons, and you're like, no, nah, fuck the balloons. We're gonna fucking take this shit to no. the next level. Earlier than that, I wasn't even. We, you know, I'm nine. I'm eight, nine years old, ten years old. Jesus I don't even Christ. know what whippets are. I don't know that there's another. I don't even know what drugs are at this point. I mm-hmm. know that my friends are smoking cigarettes, which I'm not cool with, but I don't care. I'm not smoking them. And <clears throat> they're inhaling um, lighter fluid and talking funny, and we're all laughing. And that's how it kind of got started for me. And, uh, you know, so with my mom getting out of the hospital and you know dating this guy gene getting pregnant by him you know as time goes by her addiction gets worse and now she's shooting heroin um and so she's already had the baby the baby's basically you know a couple months old he doesn't have a crib he doesn't have the then you could come into our house and you would never think that there was a baby laying in the floor in another room by just looking at the house you know, it wasn't like a coming home from the hospital to your room with plenty of diapers and formula. It's straight drunky, uh, druggy, like junky situation where, you know, if the if it wasn't for the state giving my mom, I'm sure the necessary essentials um, that she couldn't spend on drugs, uh, that's what kept him alive. Wow. Yeah. So. Again, thank God that, you know, there's other people in my life. So my mom has five sisters. Four of them live down here. Mm-hmm. And uh, each one of them suffers with addiction. But at this time in my life, you know, some would be doing better than others. And so, you know, they, my family knew what was going on. And so the ones who were doing better kind of stepped in and pulled us out of that situation. Um, and that's kind of where my journey really started for me because – Now, you know, I'm not a five-year-old kid being dropped off in Virginia to live with your aunt for two years. Right. You know, now now I am a... Like an adolescent, prepubescent. I'm an an adolescent. You're prepubescent. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, I'm... uh, Sorry, I'm just trying to clear my throat. I was uh, suffering for some allergy issues, but... Sure, yeah. uh, 
not COVID. If I do get did get COVID, it'd be from Scotty. Mm-hmm. I can um, I can smell the Rona from here, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, smell it. So you know that's where it really started for me. It was like you know now, it's just not bad memories when I was a little kid. It's like happening now and. Uh, you know, I'm being pulled from my family. My brother goes into um, DHS custody, uh, the state's custody. My sister goes to live with one of my other aunts, and I'm living with one of my aunts who is in active addiction. So I go from one house to another house of active addiction. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so it's like I got my, – my sister went to my rich aunt who's doing good at the time, living in Coral Springs in a brand-new house with everything she can possibly want. And I'm living with my aunt in Sunrise. So the so the Department of <clears throat> Children and Families or whatever the they don't like vet the household before they put you in it. They're just like this is a family no, member, I drop mean, them it, off. You know, it's, it, you're talking, you know, 30 years ago. It wasn't the same as it is now. It's like, oh, they're living with a family member, and it's not this lady right here. Okay, they're probably in a better spot. Yeah, you know. Um, <clears throat> I was also on probation at that time. When this all went down, I was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was on probation already for breaking and entering because um, I was ditching school and breaking into houses. At 11? And, yeah. If you were 11 years old, you break broke into someone's house, got cop of the police. House. Yeah, broke into somebody's house. We stole a bunch of nonsense shit and a bunch of food. Set up a big ass picnic in the woods. Hold on, hold on, real quick. Technical difficulties, dude. Scott's wearing high heels, by the way, guys. I've seen him wear women's underwear too before. Set up a big ass picnic in the woods. Set up a big ass picnic in the woods, and uh, I accidentally get shot with a pellet gun in my finger. And so we had brought everything back. Just like back. Tupac. Yeah, just like Tupac. I took I took five to the finger. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister had grabbed a box of these, uh, which was an empty box with had band-aids in it, but it also had blank checks in there. And so when we came home, my sister threw the, the checks, the box away in the garbage. The kid next to us goes and digs in the garbage, pulls out the blank checks, tries to start forging them. He's our age, by the way. His mother catches them. Takes the checks to the owner's house, and when the, she gets there, my neighbor gets there, that cops are there at the house, and they bring them right to us. And so, um, you know, now, and, I, and the reason why I'm saying this story is because my mom was in such active addiction when the cops came to pick me up to take me over there and do all this stuff that they wanted to do. When my mom found out about it, she just looked at us and walked into her room to use Oh, she's just like, uh, whatever. She's like, okay, so my nine-year-old daughter and my 11-year-old son just got arrested for breaking in an injury during a school day, and she just looked at us and walked into her room. Um, Jesus Christ, dude. So, you know, that's, that's pretty crazy because I have two kids now, and I can't imagine, um, you know, my oldest son, who is, like, still, like, the most innocent kid in the world, um, doing shit like that. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I remember the journey really started for me is, is after that. My, my mom ran off from the police and to, so she didn't have to uh, deal with the consequences. My brother got taken away. Um, my sister got sent to one place and I got sent to another. 
And then I immediately started raising hell again. Um, started to school again, started talking back, started running away. If I didn't like what you said, I would just run away. Um, and then one day I came home from school and hold on one second, Scott. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I shouldn't drink that Coke. Um, and my bags were packed at the front door. Like I came in from the house at my aunt's house. I walked in, there was a big ass red duffel bag right there on the floor. And I was like, oh, what so is they, this? they had packed your bags for you. My bags are packed. Yeah. Like literally me and my aunt had gotten into this big ass fight. I punched her in the face. Oh, <laughs> that'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> you gotta go. <laughs> um, you know, I, I friggin', uh, I'm 12 years old at this point. It's 1995. Oh no, you know what? I'm 13. Just turned 13. It's 1995, um, November 5th. I walk in from school, and there's a red bag there with all my shit in it. And she goes, you're moving to Virginia. We're taking you down to the train station. Your dad will be there at 530. I said, okay. You're going to go live with your aunt in Virginia. Okay. And so they took me down to the train station. My dad was there. They bought me a ticket. I I think it was like 65 bucks. They put me on a train by myself at 13 years old. 16 hours later, I'm in Petersburg, Virginia. Uh, meeting my, you know, seeing my aunt for the first time in, you know, a decade. And uh, her new husband. And it's snowing outside. Hmm. And I'm in t shirt, <laughs> t shirt and shorts. Um, and so now I live in Virginia. And I was basically sent there without the state knowing. Um, so I can't go to school up there. I can't do anything because I'm not supposed to be there. So it's this huge legal battle for me. Uh, my mom's still in active addiction. Nobody can get a hold of her. my dad. He was one of the hardest workers I've ever known, but he's also one of the biggest drinkers I've ever known. Mm-hmm. And he's not the guy who passes out after too many. He's the guy who blacks out after too many every time. Right. He wasn't, I'm going to drink a six pack after work, the relaxed kind of guy. He was like, Showing showing up to the house in a twelve pack, and uh, and he'll drink until two or three o'clock in the morning, pass out, get up at five thirty or six o'clock, and go to work the next day. He was a roofer in South Florida. Hmm. Um, you know, many times I've driven my dad hammered drunk on his lap as a young boy. He'd work the gas and brake, and I would work the steering wheel, but no seatbelts on. <laughs> so all of this led to you making some pretty questionable adult yeah, decisions. You know, yeah, it, it basically, you know, I give you that background as insane as it is. I, I, I end up moving up to Virginia, kind of speed up the story a little bit. And I have a pretty normal life for the first couple of years. My sister ends up joining me up there. Mm-hmm. My aunt, you know, is a hard, you know, has a regular job. My uncle has a regular job. They have a house. They already had four other kids. So now it's six kids total in the three bedroom house. And God. Um, my aunt's doing the best she can. We're having I think it's really like the first time I ever remember just having sit-down dinners where everybody sat at the table together and had dinner, mm-hmm. which was amazing. And you were how old at this point? 13. Oh, okay. 13 was the first time I sat down and had like an organized dinner. My mom and dad were together uh, after I was born, but after that, my mom was running around. My dad was running around. There was no like family atmosphere there, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I was exposed to like, you know, how life should be lived, I guess, Um but, you know, it's, it's funny is as you can put me anywhere in this country or, matter of fact, in this world, and I'm going to find the same people 
that I have anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I say that is because I started running around with the kind of the same people uh, I was running with down here. And, you know, they're great guys and I love them still to this day. They're my best friends. Um, you know, I just, you know, after time, over time as shit progressed, it's, you know, now um, uh, using drugs. I, I didn't use any drugs because I was so afraid of drugs. I was so afraid of alcohol my whole life. I didn't start drinking or do anything like that until I was 21 years old. Wow. Every, everybody around me was doing cocaine. And drinking from like a early age, mm-hmm. um, sixteen years old, seventeen years old, and all my friends were doing blow and uh, partying and everything else, and I was still kind of just straight edge, but I was down. So I'd hold drugs, I would sell drugs, but I wouldn't use them. Um, kind of fast forward, I remember I was living in Fredericksburg, Virginia, right outside of D.C., and I had a good job. And uh, me and my girlfriend broke up and I was really hurting because I was living in a hotel room with pretty much strangers in the company because we traveled. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the guys there, he smoked crack three times a week. So, and, so this guy was in the hotel room with you and he's just like yeah, he's, sparking he's, up his crack at like three yeah, times a week? Yeah, smoking the, the crack uh, at least three times a week. You know, this guy would make five, $600 before he would leave the hotel room. And... Um, and he would smoke crack all night long, three times a week, easily, four times maybe. And I remember I'm sitting there with a sock in front of my face watching Seinfeld, and he's smoking crack. It's like a daily thing. And Smoking uh, crack, watching Seinfeld? I'm watching Seinfeld with a sock around my face. Oh, he's, so you don't get the crack? I'm thinking that, right? You know, I'm just like annoyed by the smell of burnt plastic in the hotel room, you know? <laughs> Holy um, fucking shit. And so... You know, one day I was just like, hey, after me and my girlfriend broke up, you know, I was like, hey, let me try that. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, let me try that. And I started smoking crack was the first drug I ever did. So you just, you were like, fuck the progressive, start with the alcohol, then move my way to marijuana. Then I wasn't even doing alcohol yet. You're just like, let's just, let's just head first dive into the shallow end of the pool right now. Yeah. So I smoked crack first. Uh, I had been drunk one time. Like two or I think two years earlier, and I hadn't drank since. I got super drunk, super hungover, and I was so turned off by the whole experience that I didn't drink it again. See, again in my family, we we just can't have a couple of beers. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as one. She so got plastered. Once too many, thousands and never enough is the perfect saying for my family. Yeah. So if I was to drink with my friend, I never drink, never drank before. I probably weigh you know, 125 pounds, and here I am drinking a whole six-pack of Zima, you know? <laughs> Zima. <laughs> you know, that's so fantastic, I, dude. Dude. I mean, it's not know, fantastic, so but you know what I mean. But no, that's, you know, here I am. I can't stop drinking because I'm having a good time, but now yeah, I'm throwing up all over the place. I'm blacked out drunk. I'm naked, you know? And so I was turned off by that. So fast forward, you know, I go through the breakup. I can't deal with the feelings. I'm a young adult. I never had any real male figure in my life. My uncle did the best job he could. He also had, you know, six other kids to take care of as well. I was the oldest. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I just got to that point where, you know, I just wanted a release mm-hmm. and I didn't know what, how that was going to change my life going forward for the rest of my life. That one, that one time, um, it's kind of cliche, you know, but, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I started smoking crack. 
Then I came home that weekend to go see my friends, and I told them, I was like, dude, I started smoking crack. And they're like, <laughs> What did your friends say when you told them that? They're like, Let's go get some ecstasy. You'll love that. <laughs> they're like, Wait a second. Are you like crack? You're going to love this love next this. thing. <laughs> You're going to love this shit. It's awesome. So here I am thinking now, you know, I'm taking ecstasy on the weekends with them. I'm like expanding my mind, uh, it's opening up new possibilities. I can't understand why everybody's saying drugs are so bad. Um, You're like, drugs are fantastic. They're fucking awesome. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm using on the weekends now. So I go back to work up there with that guy. And I'm working in Freshburg, which is about an hour outside of Richmond. Uh, so the weekends I'm going back home and I'm just doing a different drug every weekend. And um, so – make a long story short you know at this point uh, about a year into it i've done everything now now i'm drinking and smoking cigarettes i didn't smoke cigarettes before now i'm smoking cigarettes so a year after smoking crack and doing ecstasy every day finally you're like let me see what this whole cigarettes thing's all about i, I remember you so i remember <laughs> while you know this is how noob i was to smoking cigarettes i was 21 years old i started smoking cigarettes and i'm telling my buddy who's probably been smoking since he was 15 i'm like you don't understand this. You have to hold it in. It's so much better. <laughs> and so, like, you know, I was just, I was an idiot. You know, I, I started, I started backwards. All the last thing I did was smoke cigarettes. So I, awesome. I literally, I remember I did, I was smoking crack on the weekends. I was putting myself in situations where I'm, I can't believe I'm alive right now. Um, the most sketchiest fucking situations you can, I, to be honest with you, Scott, like it's just a miracle that I'm here right now. Yeah. Um, there's no other. There's no other way I can put it. Simply, I mean, you can if you believe whatever you want to believe, but um, I shouldn't be here today. Not just sh for the sheer fact, sheer fact of the places and the people I've dealt with in my past. Mm -hmm. Not let alone the amounts, copious amounts of drugs I used. Uh, I was literally using every time to kill myself unknowingly. Um, you know, so it goes. This goes on for a couple of years. And so, like um, when when you're when you're using all these drugs, what is it like? Why you said that you were like a quote unquote functional addict? Yeah, so, so like, exactly. So I, I I was still functioning. I still had a job. They were sending me all over the country. So people are like um, telling you like drugs are bad. Like don't do drugs. You're gonna ruin yeah, your life. Yeah, but you're like, look life. at them. Like my life is fine. What are you talking about? You yeah, know? Yeah. Like yeah. My I don't have any money, but. Mm -hmm. I have a job. I have a place to stay. I have a car. Because mm -hmm. um, at this you point, know, you had like started to kind of develop. Yeah, I'm a young adult at this mm -hmm. point. Um, I'm living in different states every couple of months. I'm traveling for work. Hey, hold on, um, hold on, hold on. Your mic just got real weird all of a sudden. My computer just shut off. Oh, no, I think you, that was it. You just flipped the mic, I think. Oh, hold on. Let me just make sure I sign back in. You know, um, I'm traveling. Yeah, you're traveling. You're a young adult. You're young adult, making I, money. You know, I'm making money. You're now, not, life isn't like, you're not in a gutter. So you're I'm like, not in the, uh, yeah, I'm not in the gutter. I'm not smoking. Cr See, here's the other thing about me too. What's really interesting is that, you know, I was around the crack and when I mean that guy kind of split up in part of ways, I never smoked crack again. <laughs> you're just like, I'm over it. I never, I never smoked. I mean, I free base cocaine, but that's a later on date. But <laughs> you're like, never, that's a, that's a different story. It's <laughs> a story, story for another time. Yeah. Yeah. It's another time. Uh, <laughs> what is but So explain I, what free base and cocaine is. Well, you know, like the cocaine you like to snort when you're like 
at the bar. You take a couple of tutors like a gentleman, you know, do a little <laughs> blow in the bathroom. Okay. Um, and so you take that and you just put it on the end of a cigarette and you smoke it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's what, that's why they call it. Well, why do they call it freebasing? To be honest with you, I don't know. It's kind of like an old term, like reefer, I guess. I'm okay, not sure. I see. Basically, I would smoke powdered cocaine. Um, mm-hmm. Something chemically happens to the cocaine when you mix it with hot water and uh, baking soda. Hmm. Um, it chemically changes. So, you know, it was weird. I Once I was away from him, I never had a real desire to smoke crack again. I did, wasn't looking for it. Um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a kind of like, hey, you got it. I, I want to do it too, right? I'll go in with you on it. But if you're not around, then whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it progressed, of course. And so, like – you start believing your own lies. You know, this company is, you know, I, I need to get away from them and they're not paying me what I deserve. And of course it's everybody else's fault, but your own when you're using. And right. so I figured, I, you know, I finally justified why I need to leave and ended up fucking them over and burning that whole bridge down. And, you know, and that was like, kind of like how it really started for me. And so now, you know, I moved back into the town and again, I get a job and I, you know, I'm very dependable and, um, Again, you know, never recognizing that I have a drug problem because everybody around me is doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, but some of those people are not making it back. They're using and they're dying. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to prison or going to jail for quite some time. Um, and that was pretty much everybody I ran with was doing the same shit. So it wasn't anything outside the norm. You you know, when you don't know anything else, like you, you do know there's something better. You know about a family atmosphere, the shit you see on TV. But when everybody you know is poor or doing the same shit, it's really hard to feel like you're missing something when everybody else has the same shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so as I'm now becoming a younger, a young adult, I decide to. Um, I remember I was selling weed, and um, a buddy of mine was like, "Hey, uh, my buddy over here wants some blow." I was like, well, you know, I don't really sell blow. I don't have anybody that does it like that to have enough to sell. Um, all I mean, I did it myself, but I just was a user of it. Right. And he was like, oh, but he wants an ounce. And I was like, okay. Well, as faith would ha- fate would have it, my drug dealer at the time that I would get my weed from says, hey, if you know anybody looking for cocaine, I have it now. I was like, oh, well, no, I don't. That next day at a party, this guy's asking to buy an ounce off of me. Um, so I, the next day I just run over there and grab an ounce of cocaine. Like it's nothing mm-hmm. like a, like a gallon of milk off a grocery store right? <laughs> and go sell it to some random dude. I barely know that one of my buddies vouched for. Um, and then all of a sudden I stopped selling weed and I'm in the Coke game now and, uh, life starts to get really good. Um, for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it basically, what I realized is this, I was already busted before I even knew it. And all that fun and everything I was having at the time, uh, the moment I was in the jail cell, I would have given it all back for my freedom. Every bit of it. Yeah. And I had some fun, you know, I, everybody has these stories about drugs being bad, but yes, drugs are bad, but I also had some really good times too. Yeah. I mean, if, Um, if there wasn't there, if there wasn't that overwhelming, like appeal, then probably people wouldn't do it as much. Yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, you know, I, I did blow, I smoked crack, I've snorted heroin to almost dying. And, um, you know, I like to trip on LSD and go out into the mountains or go walk in the woods for 12 hours and had a blast. 
you know, and, mm-hmm. and the consequences weren't that crazy. Um, so in the beginning, it was still all fun while, the, you know, there was no consequences. Now I'm suffering from real consequences sitting in a jail cell. Right. And so life, so talk about what happened. Like, so you, how long did you sell cocaine before you so got I, busted? So, so what happened is, um, so like I said, I ran with a bunch of guys who sold drugs. You yeah. Know? Um, and so what happened is that I was selling to four people keeping it real small uh i was just selling i mean it's not even weight you could say but i was selling like a half ounce or a quarter i would never sell anything small Mm -hmm. that an average person would be able to afford to use on a weekend like i wouldn't sell you 50 dollars worth of cocaine Mm -hmm. right it had to be 250 300 500 700 a thousand like it had to be a larger amount for make it worth my while right uh even though i was very familiar with the streets um, you know, I was able to be a chameleon my whole life, so I could go in there and sound like I come from the streets to be legit, but then I can also talk to you on the phone and it sounds like I went to Harvard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was, it was one of those chameleon things. Well, you know, so I'm selling, I'm selling blow, um, making what I would consider at the time, very easy, fast money, um, and uh, one of the guys that I was selling drugs to decided to uh, become an informant. Um, and basically, I had an indictment on me for over a year. Didn't hmm. even know it. They were just trying to get more drug buys from me. Mm-hmm. Kind of like uh, build and, a case against you. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's a when they're when you have an agency or you have a, a task force after you. Mm-hmm. It's not like getting arrested by the police and they have to do this whole investigation and it starts right there. This is something they build on you to build a case on you to be able to get warrants for your arrest and build a strong enough case to, to indict you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something they use to be able to get into these – like I, the town that I lived in, in in Virginia is a very small town considering where I came from. You know, you're talking 20,000 people, but you're only talking about two elementaries, one high school, one middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean you know what South Florida is like. I mean there's – multiple elementary schools and multiple high schools in just a little area right um so you kind of get you get a name for yourself very quickly there mm-hmm. um so i had a name for myself i hung out with guys who were known drug dealers um who had plenty of jail time um and didn't like the cops and you know so they're trying to build a case against me i end up running off because i caught wind of something going on fishy i didn't know anything about indictments I, I didn't understand the law like that and i didn't think i was a big enough player in the game to be able for somebody to do that um as as uh as things went on i decided one day my my boss at the time it's like my second dad uh you know i've always had these men in my life or even women in my life that were like a turning point for me who helped me um and and i and it was a pivot for me mm-hmm. and if without each one of those people in that position that they were in to help me or guide me in the right direction i wouldn't be here today if at least one of one person wasn't there for me to pivot on or use some experience or be able to listen at that point um and so my old boss basically you know i'm going to work high as hell this time uh, I was up all night using drugs. I was snorting cocaine. I had an ounce of coke, and I was partying with a girl and another dude. And uh, it was like seven in the morning. I didn't have to work, so I wanted to use. 
And my boss ended up calling me and asked me, I want to come to work. Well, I'm not even in my right mind. So I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Mm-hmm. And so, um, of course, it was a huge mistake at the time. Uh, but it did un- it opened a door for me where he reached out to me and said, hey, stop doing that shit. Because I told him what I was doing. I was like, hey, I'm high on coke. He knew something was wrong because I strung the fuck out. Right. I don't eat. I don't drink water. I'm dehydrated. I'm malnourished. Uh, my eyes are fucking sunken. I'm talking a million miles a second. Um, you know, I have more drugs on me at that point to keep it going so I can get just through work, you know. Um, and he said, you know, stop doing that stuff and you can come live with me. And, um, and so I said, okay. And, uh, a couple days after that, I just went to the old house I used to sell with my friends at and moved into his house, my, my, my ex boss's house. And I stopped selling drugs right there on the spot. And I have never sold drugs since then. Um, at that level. I mean, I may have like, you want to go in on me and I know the dude, that's one thing, but I wasn't actually going out and buying, uh, amounts to be able to sell, you know, um, so I, I got out of the drug game, basically. I'm still partying and having fun. But now I'm working more. I'm just smoking pot every single day, all day long, mm-hmm. um, to basically, you know, maintain, um, to be able to get outside myself. I don't have to deal with not being a productive member of society. Um, you know, one thing I've learned about marijuana is it's a complacent. It's a super complacent. Uh, you know, they talk about it being lazy. And I used to laugh all the time. Lazy. I'm over here working my ass off what are you talking about mm-hmm. it's not it wasn't that it's just like it just made it okay for whatever state of life that i was in i was fine with that state of life no matter what i never right. wanted to go to the next level i'm okay um and so you know one day i'm sitting there on a job site a year later uh you know kind of turn my life around uh like i said I'm still smoking pot drinking beer and doing blow occasionally like a gentleman <laughs> um and I turn around and I notice this officer that I know in the town, Detective Koloff. Um, and I'm like, oh, what's up, Detective Koloff? You know, here's this funny thing is you're a big drug dealer in the town, but you also know all the damn cops because you either went to school with them or you just met them over time. Yeah. You know, they would just like to bust your sh- shit up. If you're out past 12 o'clock at night, you're getting pulled over. They don't need a reason why. They're just going to pull you over the fuck with you. Right. This is, this is a town that – nothing goes on past 11 o'clock if you're out past 11 o'clock it's you're you're doing fuck shit right right you're gonna get harassed um (laughs) so you know i see the cop i recognize him he's a detective i'm like what's up detective koloff and then i see another cop and then another cop and they're all in plain codes it's they call it the dice squad uh it's a narcotics task force out of the county Mm -hmm. uh and detective koloff then realized that he's you know the kind of like the number one guy in that task force and so they arrest me they indict me right then and there and take me off the job site so he just shows up at your job at my job you had you'd been doing nothing for like a year over a year and you thought that in your head you had turned your life around you dodged the bullet wasn't thinking in a million years that anything was going to like this going to happen to me and then they just walk right up and they're like hey let's fucking go to jail handcuffs on me put me in the front seat of the car what did your boss turn on did he think that you fucked up? Well, you know what's funny is that, you know, small town is that my boss, my boss is, God, you want to talk about crazy small town, crazy world shit. So a year earlier, 
right? I said this happened. They they indicted. They watched me for a little over a year, and so um, my boss, his girlfriend, worked at the police department in records, mm-hmm. and uh, so that like a, that year I was supposed to be going down to like Nags Head is like kind of where everybody goes to vacation at if you live in Virginia or that surround the area mm-hmm. every year the, pretty much everybody you know takes a week or two off and they always go down there and they just party it up everybody has a beach house and uh, so me and the guy's uh, daughter their stepdaughter were going to be showing up a day late and the mother was kind of worried because she wasn't answering her phone so she sent the captain of the police department to the house to check on this girl just as a friendly thing, right? Cause Tiff, her name was Tiffany. She wasn't answering the, the, the door or answering her the calls. And I opened the door and I greeted him. I was like, Oh, okay. And, uh, he was like, Oh, what's your name? I was like, JP. That's all I told him. He remembered that. So when they came looking for me to find me, he remembered my name from a while earlier and knew He's where like, I, hey, what's my up, last known address was able to give it to my boss in the in in the lady. So it was set up. So my boss knew that my boss had known that I was going to get arrested. For how long? I never asked him. And I still love him today. I, it wasn't his fault, you know. Right, right, right. Um and he had known about it. So when I got arrested, later come to find out is the reason they were able to find me that easily is because I had ran into the captain of the police department mm-hmm. one year earlier. And I was still living there. Cuz I never had uh you know, I never changed my license. I didn't have an up-to-date dress. I wasn't, you know, I have no credit cards. I have no bills. You know, I, I pay everything in cash. That's just how I lived. It wasn't, right. you know, I wasn't a real productive member of society. I didn't pay taxes. I didn't file for taxes or anything like that. Um, and so, you know, now I'm sitting in cuffs in the front seat of this unmarked car heading up to their little, you know, their little dice squad friggin' hangout, hideout in the, uh, and they're playing Sublime, two joints in the morning, two joints at night. And uh, they're laughing their asses off. And so they basically are trying to flip me at this point. And, uh, what and, do you mean you flip know, you? So they wanted to suit me to become an informant or they right. wanted me to make a controlled buy. Uh, they were trying to turn me on, my friends. Uh, they were saying things like, if you want us to trust you, just buy a little bit of weed off somebody you know. They're not going to get in trouble. Don't worry about it. We just bring the weed back to us so we know that you can get drugs. And I'm like, I'm not doing any of that. Um, you know, I basically I I cooperate with them in a way that gives them nothing, but seems like I'm being cooperative, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not snitching on anybody because there's nobody to snitch on because like the guy I was getting my drugs from, uh would probably rather shoot me in my face after not seeing him for a year and then showing up to his house trying to get an ounce of cocaine. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I hadn't seen this guy in a year plus. Mm-hmm. I stopped selling drugs. I can't just show up there, like, randomly, hey, what's up, buddy? Do you have... Hey, can I go get a brick off you, bro? Yeah, yeah. What's up, man? What's up with those <laughs> Nothing kilos, is suspicious man? here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No wires on me. No need to check. <laughs> you know, and I told him that. I was like, listen, you know... <laughs> It sucks to be you guys. I, I've been out of the game. I don't know. You know, like, you know, now they're trying to get me to just to turn on my boys, right? Mm-hmm. They're still selling drugs. So I give them nothing. I play like I am. Uh, and I, and it worked for my advantage for the for the meantime. I don't know. I'll tell you what happened. So 
for me, just acting like I would help cooperate with them and kind of like, you know, I'm, I know what's going on in the streets. I can tell you what's going on, you know, that helped me get a lower bond where I was able to make bond to get out of jail, Mm -hmm. uh, considerably lower because I was going to be helping them. So they didn't want me sitting in jail. They didn't want me off. They wanted me back on the street as fast as I came off the street. Right. So it wasn't to put off the vibe that everybody in the town that I had went to jail. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, I have been busted. Once that gets out, you you can't buy drugs off anybody. You know, yeah, yeah. You're, you're you're marked. Uh, so you know that, that that's where it kind of started for me. And then uh, of course I didn't help him. And my addiction got worse because you know of course the stressors of that indictment um, were a lot for me to deal with. I didn't take it serious. Again, you know, once I was out of the jail cell and out of the handcuffs. It wasn't even like I was there. I'm still partying. I'm not going to see my coin. I'm fight. I'm facing uh, five to forty years in in prison. Jesus Minimum Christ. of five, maximum of forty. They're handing out forty year sentences in Virginia over this charge, and um, I don't even go and see my court court appointed lawyer. I'm too busy partying and doing shit to worry about going to talk to him about my case. Don't talk to him about my case one fucking time. And I keep asking for continuances from the judge every time I have to go to court. And then finally, I guess my lawyer told the judge what was going on. And um, he, the, the judge asked him the right questions that time, which he has to answer, honestly. And so they revoked my bond and they, uh, they took me in. Best thing that probably happened for me because I was not taking anything serious at that point. And so now I'm being held without bond, can't get out. Uh, now my lawyer can't come and see me and talk to me about my case that, you know, he's going to be trying to help me fight, which, you know, he's a court appointed lawyer. He's just doing a plea deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do a little over a year in almost a year in, uh, in jail waiting to basically waiting for my case to come up and then also fighting my case. Um, at the end of the day, I got uh, time served, and then I got this program called Diversion. It's a mm-hmm. DOC facility. It's in West area of Virginia, not West Virginia, but Western Virginia. And uh, it's like in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. And it basically, um, it's like kind of like a reform place. You start off slow, you get introduced to a lot of different things, uh, how to deal with life. It's really meant for people who are coming off long bids or prison stays mm-hmm. um, to re kind of get back into society right so it's a it's a step-by-step program so they make sure they get you your birth certificate your social security card a license or an id if you have it uh they help you set up a bank account they help you pay off your fines with the money that you make they get you a job you work outside the prison once you're trusted you know for a shift or whatever it is and then when you leave there when your time's up they give you a check for whatever the money they save for you minus wherever the room and board was which is nothing really uh, whatever your canteen was, and then uh, they took 10% to pay off your fines. So when I got out, I only had like a couple hundred dollars left on my fines. Where that alone, when people get out and they have thousands of dollars worth of restitutions or fines and shit like that, can screw you. And you end up violating because you're not paying those things off. Um, so it helps you get out. Mm-hmm. So that was almost a year. Uh, so that I did 80% of uh two years um 
And, uh, you know, I, I got out after, you know, all the things I went through on there, hating life. I was on six months in county jail on lockdown, basically, in my cell 23 hours a day watching spiders grow. Um, and, you know, I get up going to the county facility or prison, the DOC facility. And then when I left there, I, I had, uh, I think it was $3,500, all the papers and everything I would need to start a life. And uh, I went to the bank and cashed it and got cash, a big ass water cash, came home, see my family drinking on the way home. Um, the next day they had a coming home party. I was selling cocaine. Jesus Christ. And to the point how crazy it was, my friends were looking at me like, hey, what are you doing? So what was it, if, if that wasn't enough to, to knock you out of the rhythm, what was it that finally like set it in for you that I, I'm, I just got to stop doing this shit? Kind of fast forward it, at the end of the day, it was an LSD trip that kind of changed my life. So you took LSD? I took LSD for the umpteenth time. Um, had pretty much an average trip, you will. Uh, and I woke up the next day and I had a, I had a, I was clear in my head with what I had to do, uh, which was get the fuck out of town. I I woke up 25 years old, not a damn thing to my name, um, living at somebody else's house in the ghetto, um, no car, no license, no nothing, a trash bag. All my clothes, none of the clothes I'm wearing or had at my house were uh, mine um, and I woke up and I was just like I-, I have to do something different here so I called my mom and my mom had supported me through my time incarcerated putting money on my books and writing me and everything else and showed up for me because my mom had got clean or sober uh, before I got locked up so she had a couple years sober so she was able to show up for me and be there for me and uh that's kind of mean where me and my mom's journey really started, um, talking to each other and communicating because she was she showed up for me, and uh, I called her. It was two thousand and eight. Uh, I think it was like September seventh, and I said, uh, "I want to I want to move down there." She's like, "Okay." She bought me a bus ticket to Florida. To Florida. Mm-hmm. Left Richmond. I left Petersburg, Petersburg, Florida, uh, Petersburg, Virginia. On a bus, 16 hours, back down here to South Florida to live with my mom and her boyfriend. Um, you know, at the time, I think my mom had around six or seven years clean or sober. Um, and her boyfriend had um, a little bit more time. Again, you know, I always think that it's people, places, and things that I'm not the problem. It's the people that I hang out with. Mm-hmm. Uh, which isn't the case, you know. I, I I came down here knowing nobody, only family, and within four months, I was already partying and going out and everything else. Had two jobs, um, but I was partying every weekend. Yeah, and um, and hanging out with those people who partied, and I found that group of people, and you know, I kind of ran like that for a while, and uh, you know, I ended up getting a new job. And I'm working at a treatment center for drug and alcohol abuse. Hmm. I'm working there using. Um, 
And my boss is an addict, a, a recovering addict. And he said one time, he goes, well, if JP's an addict, then he's the most reliable addict I've ever met in my life. And we all laughed about it. But the, the, the thing was that they would go home on the weekends and go to their meetings and everything else and come to work on Monday and everything would be fine. I would come to work on Monday after partying all weekend and have zero dollars. And I had to bum cigarettes or I'd have to bum money off my friend uh, to get through the week. And I still lived at home with my mom, 25, 26 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that went on for a couple of years. But at that point, I was exposed to Narcotics Anonymous. Um, and I decided I hadn't made up my mind to go to a meetings at, at all. I didn't, I wasn't an addict still. Um, I was trying to get a $1 an hour rates. So I wanted to go from $15 an hour to $16 an hour. And all my problems were going to be fixed, <laughs> you know, cause I'm seeing these other guys who are ex drug addicts, basically buying the new truck and they have the girlfriend and they have the gold chains and the, the new clothes and the shoes and everything else. I have none of that shit. Um, but I desperately want it. And so I start pushing for a dollar an hour raise. They end up giving me a 65 cents. That 65 cents, I build a resentment. I go out and I get a new job. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of in the field that I am today, a project management position. Now I'm making $55 an hour and I have no money still. Um, I go out one night, the first week I'm there with some office folks, some professional folks. See, like I said before earlier in my story, I'm a chameleon. So I know how to dress. I know how to put the tie on. I know how to look the part. I know how to speak the part. Um, my phone just died. Um, I know how to blend in. Um, so, you know, we go out Friday night and I remember we probably went out to the bars downtown Fort Lauderdale. Uh, around like Los Olas area, I start drinking at maybe six o'clock. By seven thirty, I'm hammered, drunk, trying to call my dealer for drugs. This was this was after you moved back. This is this is after I moved back. Mm-hmm. This is after I got the job that I wanted, making the money that I've always more money than I've ever had before. At that point, you know, a professional career, trusted with, you know, tons of responsibility, and you know, I'm working around people who have. Harvard degrees and, you know, have went to Yale or they went to, you know, these great business schools. And, uh, and here I am, you know, this, this kid from South Florida who, um, really just never had a chance at anything. Um, you know, my buddy opened the door for me and I faked it till I made it. Um, but I remember that first week there, I go out downtown with the guys and the, and the people from the office and I get shit, shitty drunk. And I'm looking for drugs, and I find that my dealer doesn't have any drugs, but I can go to the gas station and buy bath salts. Bath salts? Yes, bath salts. AKA, like the ones that you... AKA spider poison, AKA uh, synthetic uh, methamphetamine or cocaine, whatever you want to call it. That's the shit that people were fucking eating people's faces off and shit with. That is correct, yeah. I actually knew a girl who would get so high on it, she thought she was telepathic and she could speak to her boyfriend in different states and they would sit there and have conversations back and forth with each other. That's fucking I awesome. swear to God, I would sit there and watch this shit. Like, this is my life. Um, so this so, so this is after you tripped on acid? This is after I tripped on acid and made the decision to come to South Florida. 
So then you came to Florida, but you still fucked around. Yes, yeah, yeah, still fucked around. So what the fuck happened? How did you turn this shit so, around, JP? This is where it's going. So, you know, I uh, I freaking use the bath salts. Uh-huh. I get ridiculously high. I don't go to, I use a fucking, like, uh, just a, something you would laugh at if you saw it, right? And I did it that one time. I didn't go to bed until the Sunday night. From Saturday evening, I didn't go back. I didn't go back to sleep till Sunday night using that shit one time. And I sat there all Sunday just kicking myself. And I, uh, I was praying to God basically if I should just go to sleep, uh, I would go to a meeting on Tuesday or Monday or whatever it was. When I woke up on Monday, I called my buddy of mine who was in the meetings, Narcotics Anonymous, and said, hey, Dave, I want to go to one of those meetings. He's like, at an AA, NA meeting? I was like, yeah. And that's where my journey started. So you you, you yeah. bought a bunch of bath salts from the fucking gas station, correct? And then you hit up your buddy, and that's when you finally got into Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah, that's when I finally got introduced to Narcotics Anonymous, where I was just praying to go to bed, and I was basically having one of those like foxhole prayers, like Jesus, like God, if I can just go to sleep, I will turn everything around tomorrow. I'll turn my life around. Yeah, and so I called my buddy and I was like, Hey, I want to go to one of those meetings you go to. And he was like, really? And he's like, yeah. See, the thing I didn't understand too is like everybody that's in Narcotics Anonymous for the most part wants to help the sick and suffering addict. Yeah, I mean, there is yeah. predators there. There is fuckery there. There's all kinds of shady shit there with shady people. But there's also people there trying to help somebody. Um, and that's how I was kind of like introduced to my first meeting. My buddy brought me to it. And um, and it's kind of my, my journey started there. Hmm. Um, and and did, and did you do you and you do you think that jujitsu helped you with this as well? Well, so you that's know, how we met. We met in yeah. jujitsu. Yeah. And so um, how how long had you had you been going to Narcotics Anonymous meetings when we first met? So um, you know, I went for the first. Here's the best part about my my story is is that the first six months of meetings I went to and stayed absent from drugs and and alcohol and everything else. I was still hanging out with my old friends mm-hmm. and they would, and I would go to meetings and meet my new friends at meetings. And I was having fun at and going to dinner with and everything else and having just like genuine real fun. And they didn't want anything from me. I would go back after that and hang out with my old friends and they would be like, Hey, where you been at? What are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I'm hanging out with this girl, blah, 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 blah. He's like, Oh, let's meet her. And does she have friends? And like, I kept saying that and finally I relapsed mm-hmm. and I stayed out for like six months and all my friends from Narcotics Anonymous were calling me like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? You need any help? Blah, 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 blah. And then finally, um, my mom wrote me a note and uh, was like, hey, if you, don't, if you don't fucking stop, you have to move out. Because at that time, now I'm smoking spice every day. What is spice? Uh, synthetic marijuana you could also buy at the gas station that was like 20,000 times stronger than THC. Oh, okay, I see. Like it was literally like you would smoke it and you would be like, how the fuck is this being sold at the gas station? But it was sold as an incense. It was just a marketing ploy to get around the you know the loopholes. Yeah, just like yeah, the, yeah. the the bath salts would be sold under bath salt originally, but then it would be sold under like spider poison where it would tell you to take that spider poison and pour it into a gallon of water and then spray it in the corners of your house. Jesus Christ. But it wasn't that. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. the problem would be you would get so high and start thinking that's what it was for. Uh, but So you start freaking the fuck out? You start freaking out. Like, do I do this? Because it says you got to mix <laughs> it with water and spray it around the corners of your house. I, I don't know. Oh, Christ. Oh, man. Horrible. Um, 
I hope I'm not making drugs sound fun at all, kids. They're horrible. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to romanticize anything about drugs. But no, so, but it it sounds like yeah. like they fucking had a grip, dude. They had a grip on you. And so yeah, what I'm what I'm wondering, did. like listening to this, is I'm like, dude, w- like when did that grip start to fucking release, man? You know, like you know, yeah, it was so it was. You know, it's it's funny. It's like in Narcotics Anonymous or just recovery alone, anybody who wants to recover or says it's that time that they're ready to do it, we take them serious as it is the first time, even if it's a hundredth time. Right. We don't turn our backs on on our people. We don't shoot our wounded. So you could be my my best friend in, in recovery, and then you all of a sudden want to go out and start using drugs, and we go to meetings together every day, and we hang out, and we do dinners, and this and this and this, and then you want to use? Yeah, of course I'm going to be hurt. But when you come back. And you're like, hey, I want to, you know, go back to me. I'm going to be right there waiting for you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so that's what they, they did, you know. So when I finally got to the point where, you know, my mom's going to kick me out of the house, I'm using drugs to the point where I'm responsible for 15 people's lives inside high voltage areas and dangerous areas. And I'm in my truck smoking spice all day because it's that addictive. Mm-hmm. And um, and so basically what I did, I had to, I remember I had to go out of town. And I wasn't going to take any spice with me, so I'd be forced to not to smoke it. And after three days, I came back, and that's when I made the decision to go back to Narcotics Anonymous. And I remember uh, I went to my home group, but I couldn't remember what time it started. So every addict has a home group, basically. That's where they show up every week. If you don't go to any other meetings a week, you go to your home group. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I drove over to I couldn't remember what time it started. had been like six months of heavy using. Uh, you know, I would smoke about $5,000 worth of this stuff every month um and so you know i finally was like i would drive around the block and right hand turn i could do another circle or if i make a left i can go buy some spice at any of the gas stations down the street and i'm having like a really hard time finally i see a car i recognize and i get out and when i walk up into the building the first person i see is my sponsor and uh that's somebody who kind of guides you through the program yeah. And he just opened up his arms and said, I didn't have to use it anymore. And that was the last time I used. Damn, dude. Nah, yeah, that was uh, October uh, 11, 2012. And so when I met you, Scott, I met you shortly after that. I had about a month clean. Yeah, I because decided... I, was at, I was at Worlds in 2012. Yeah, so I met you shortly after that. You started coming back. You started going to Pablo's because of AJ. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had just got clean. And um, I needed something to do that was going to be positive. I didn't know what jujitsu was. I knew who Hoist Gracie was. Uh, I didn't watch UFC. I, I, you know, it was all underground when I was coming up and never watched it or anything like that. And so I decided, hey, I'm going to go down the street right here because I remember I used to live right around the corner from the gym. And so uh, that's how I got introduced to jujitsu is from that. And jujitsu helped me out tremendously in early recovery. I mean, I can't give back as much as it gave to me. Uh, just because it was an outlet for me. It was a way for me to um, release everything and, and, and leave it on the mats. Mm-hmm. You know, most people can go to therapy or they can go uh, you know, golfing or whatever their sport is. That sport to me was something that changed my life. Um, and it stuck with me for the rest of my life. And you know, I remember that when people would ask me, oh, what does that mean? I go, well, I used to drive down to Miami every single day angry uh, because of people on the road. And after I trained jujitsu, I would drive down the road and I would be okay with that. Yeah. 
play. It's therapeutic, it. dude. Therapeutic for hours on end afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only thing I found closer than having the therapeutic from jujitsu, it was free diving, um, and just being in the ocean. Yeah. And and you're not communicating with anybody. You're just focused on what's going on in front of you. And uh, that was the only other time I've ever found anything that's like just very very similar to jujitsu. Running, dude. For me, running is weirdly jujitsu esque. I can't I can't explain why because it's like a totally different type of cardio altogether. But it's kind of like it's kind of like when you're losing really bad in jujitsu and you and you have to keep fighting. You know, like you and that's pretty much every time I train. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that that feeling of just being like beat and knowing that you're beat and knowing that you still ha- like you're not allowed to just quit. You, you quit. know. Yeah. That's the greatest thing about jujitsu is you just can't quit. Yeah, because you you just can't you're you just, just gonna get beat up worse if you, you just stop. Gotta get, <laughs> yeah, the next you got four minutes, more. Just, yeah, three more. Yeah, minutes. you're gonna you're gonna get grinded into the mat like a piece yeah. of pulp. Yeah, you're gonna be embarrassed, dude. You know, yeah. and so it kind of is like that with running for me. Like, cause uh, after I stopped with the whole jujitsu thing, I started doing this long distance running thing. And then it's like the further you go out, it's like, well, fuck you. You got to go back. Like you got to turn around and go back. There's no fucking getting out of it. You know, so it's kind of maybe maybe it's like that, but yeah, I'm sure there's definitely some similarities there. That euphoria, but it's crazy run, runners high, you know, dude. When when like we met, like I had no idea, like I had no idea that you even went through this, dude. Because you like, you know, we you get the idea of like um like I I had the idea in my head of like what an addict is and like what a drug addict like what they look like, how they sound, you know, and like you know like you just have this picture in your mind. And then like I met you and I was like, Oh, this dude's fucking awesome, dude. We got to hang out, you know? And, and we would just like kicking and stuff all the time. I had no, I had no fucking idea, dude. Dude, we scratched the top of the iceberg, bro. You know, like (laughs) there, there's a mountain more stories and craziness that, you know, that I, you know, at the end of the day is how I see is, is we're all human and everybody has a story and there's a lot of similarities between people and, you know, at the end of the day, is you just have to treat everybody the way you want to be treated. Yeah. Um, you know, I today think... I was I was in Saint. Let me tell you this: I was in Saint Augustine today, mm-hmm. right? I, you know, blessed uh, to be able to afford and be able to travel and and do things with my family. That's you know what I love doing today. And um, I go and eat at this breakfast place today, and I look over and I see this kid. He's wearing uh, uh it's a circle with a triangle, and it's a symbol for AA. Mm-hmm. Um. Ours has a diamond in it. Mm-hmm. So um, I go, oh, dude, I like your chain because you don't want to blow anybody up, right? Because right. he's at his job, you know. So the thing you would say, you know, I know the etiquette. I would say, oh, yo, I like your chain. And if he – whatever he responds back to, then I can talk as well. So he goes – you know, it's a secret cult basically. A lot of people know anything about this stuff, so they assume it's a cult, which it is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not a cult. <laughs> but if you need a brainwashing, it's probably good for you. Um <laughs> um and i see his necklace i'm like yo i like your necklace he's like yeah i was like how much he goes 90 days now that first 90 days in an addict's life or a drug alcoholic's life is the hardest the reason we do 90 meetings in 90 days is because they say within doing 90 days of anything consecutively helps build routine right and and it helps it helps continue on that process right so um that first 90 days and I looked at him, I go, I got nine years, you know, and to somebody that has 90 days looking at somebody who has nine years, you can't even fathom that. Yeah. Those people don't exist in your world when you have 90 days, when you have under a year, 
or you have days. It doesn't exist. But I hear I see a fellow addict out in, out in public today. And, you know, I just give them some encouragement and some kind words. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's a big family, man. And it, 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 like you said, it's you wouldn't believe, but there's so many more people you know that are addicts who just don't bring it up to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, doctors and lawyers and judges. And, you know, you go to these meetings and you, you meet these people. I, I know so many, you know, if you want to talk about money, millionaires, investors and, you know, real estate and stock brokers and all these places and people at those levels, you know, they have some, you know, they've had issues that they've had to deal with. And, you know, I know cops who are addicts that are in recovery. I know judges. I know, um, you know, people that you just would never believe, you know, it's just, it's just how it is. Is this, we have in our mind because of being kids is that this is one picture of a suffering addict is on the street and homelessness and everything else. But right. You know, it's it's not the case. I think that's not, why your story is so important to hear. I think that's why people need to hear you like your story specifically because you're like not that at all. And like, yeah, you and it's you, you have there's such a misconception, you know, and of course it's crazy because, you know, especially in my field and healthcare, you know, like you we work next to people that are struggling with this and, you know, we have no idea, you know, and well, it's so true. Yeah, so yeah. True. <clears throat> I mean, it's like, and I just think that it's in. Uh, it, it's just good to hear. Like, number one, like you, you have a massive success story. Like, in my opinion, you know, like, dude, we've known each other for so long, and I've seen, I've seen your life grow the same way that you've seen mine. You know, yeah. Like, I, I remember when we, I was freaking crashing on your couch in Boca, dude. You know, and that little apartment. Yeah. And then, like, oh, what do you mean? You mean your old couches that I got? Yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, what's up? Yeah. And then now I you're fucking. About that too. Yeah, man. No, I I never forgot about that, bro. That was like a, that was a tough time in my life, dude. dude and yeah. uh, and so and now it's like fucking up there with the with them rich folks up in Wellington, dude. And it makes me happy, bro. It does. It, it's like you know, it's it's just. I just want people to know, like, the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because I want people to know that even though, like, you might be going through some shit right now, you know, and you might be struggling with addiction, or maybe you're struggling with something else, but, you know, like, if you just, if you just fucking make it work, you know, you deal the, play the cards that, that you got fucking dealt, and, you know, there's a way through, you know, yeah. and there's a fucking light at the end of the tunnel, as cliche as, cliche as that sounds, dude. It's full, the whole, my whole life is full of cliches, man, and they're all true, I mean, I, I came into this program. They said, hey, uh, you're going to have a life beyond your wildest dreams. I yeah. didn't know what that meant. If you would have told me you know, nine years ago what I, where I'd be at today in my life, I could not imagine that I would you know, be a second-time homeowner uh, with a successful career and you know, the awesome wife that I have and the beautiful kids that I have and the, you know, all the – you know, property and prestige and all that stuff. I couldn't even fathom that. Right? Yeah. Uh, all I wanted to do was not be miserable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and there's so many cliches and I think it's, it's important because I didn't hear my story for such a long time. Uh, and it's really good for an addict to hear another addict story. That's very similar to their story because I couldn't, I couldn't understand the addicts that I was seeing on a daily basis or hearing their stories because you know, here I am, uh, I am on my way with a successful career. You know, I, I go to work five days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I show up no matter what. 
And I know all everybody else sees all these stories I'm hearing is, you know, uh, is, you know, they're living in the gutters and everything else. And so it was important. I remember the first time I heard my story, very similar story, because you will hear it eventually. And I heard it for the first time. And I said, you know what, that was, that's awesome to know that I am an addict because my disease will tell me every single day, JP, you're not an addict. Look what you have. You live in a, a very nice, exclusive neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Look where you're at in your life. You're not an addict. It was a phase. Scott, I'm I'm literally, and this is how how I have to treat it on a daily basis. I'm one bad decision away from losing everything. Yeah, I can go out today and make a small little bad decision that can is would be a chain reaction to me losing everything I've worked for for the past nine years. Damn, dude. Yeah, that's how you have to treat it, man. The, the disease of addiction is is cunning and baffling. Yeah, and it's in our literature like that because. We have the ability to talk ourselves into shit that you could never believe and put ourselves in situations that nobody, no regular person could ever even freaking fathom. Yeah. And I have hundreds of stories like that, you know, where we just think we're regular people, but we're not regular people. Regular people don't drink every single day. Regular people don't smoke crack every day. (laughs) You know, like regular people don't abuse drugs. You yeah. know, regular people, you know, they don't do that shit. You know, it's like they, they go to work and they come home and they might have a glass of scotch and and, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, people like me, man, we, we have a glass of scotch and then it's a 12 pack of beer and it's blacked out drunk and, and the cops are there and you're fighting the cops or, you know, <laughs> then you're on the a, show cops. Yeah. That's a Tuesday. It's <laughs> my fucking Tuesday, bro. Yeah, man. That's wild, I'm glad you, you had me on the show, bro. I, I, I'm really proud of you. And like you said, I, our successes have kind of been going together, you know, different routes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've watched you grow. You know, I remember yeah. all the shit you went through and, and, and where you're at today. I'm very proud of you, man. I, and I know you probably don't hear that enough from another man. And, you know, the reason why I have been your friend for so long is because, one, I, I, I put myself – around people like yourself that I love and I, I love hanging out with and I can bounce stuff off of and we can be salt and pepper or we can, you know, kind of have that, that, that bond. Right. Um, yeah. You know, which tells me is like deep down inside, bro, you start using drugs. You'll probably realize you're an addict too. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you said that before, dude. I have, I know, man. you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, it's, it's just how, you know, how, how the, how it goes sometimes, man, you know, my sister is not an addict, you know, she has it in her DNA for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I definitely, I definitely like, Oh, of course. I mean, with the whole like fucking jujitsu and all that shit, man, it definitely came through there pretty hard. You can see it expressed in other parts of your life. We, we, as we get uh, longer in our recovery, we start to realize that it comes out in other areas of our life. Sex. Yeah. uh, Jujitsu, like anything that you do, in excess like that, it's just showing that, like, yeah, there's some areas you may need to take a look at. But, um, you know, I know this show's only an hour. I could talk for three hours. I was actually worried I didn't want to have enough stuff to talk about tonight. Um, <laughs> no, I know, knew I once. Had, I knew once we got this one rolling, it was gonna fucking roll, dude. Yeah, I just hope I stay on course for you, man. I, I hope there's some somebody can get a little bit of wisdom out of there. Or a little dude, bit I'm of I'm not gonna edit a damn thing except for the beginning when we were coughing and fucking chewing yeah, up no, potato chips fine. and shit. You know, I I have to say this, you know, like I'm not the poster child for Narcotics Anonymous. I don't work a perfect program. 
I don't even work a perfect program for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, much addicts with less time than me or even more time than me were working the program I, I'm working today, they probably use. Um, you know, I think that Scott having me on the show tonight and everything else is uh, kind of put a lot of things in perspective. I really haven't thought about it. And, you know, when you when you start getting some years under your belt, you kind of, you know, take it for granted. Yeah. And you I, feel like I'm it helped you? Oh, yeah, of course. And that's why I'm saying that, you know, it's no. like, thank you. You know, no, dude. Um, I haven't shared in a long time. You know, it's been years. I used to speak regularly, you know. Um, I'm not as committed to the program. You know, today I, I don't have a sponsor. I don't have a home group. I haven't spoke uh, in a meeting or told my story in, in, in quite some time. So it was, it was refreshing tonight, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Dude, no problem, man. Your, your story is fucking inspirational to me, man. Like, I can only imagine, like, if I was struggling with addiction, you know, and – I can only imagine what that what it would mean to those people, dude. You should tell them more, bro. Yeah, because you're you, know, you don't I, you're not the you, like I I keep saying that, but it's like you're not like the what what people expect, you know. And I think that's important, man. I think it's really important because I feel like a lot of a lot of this shit is like so below the surface, and people get so good at covering the whole thing up. Of course, you know. And it's like you know, you just never you just never know, you know. Yeah. And, and if I, you don't think if you don't think you're an addict and you're doing some stuff that might be questionable, like taking a little bit more or stuff that's unprescribed or buying stuff on the street, but even though it's a pill or whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. and everything's under control and your life is still going okay, but you're miserable, you might be an addict. Yeah, that's my story in a nutshell. Yeah, you know, I was not blessed with the being on the streets or being, you know selling my 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 body or putting needles in my arm you mm -hmm. know i always was i always felt like if i would have hit a rock bottom like that i would have probably got clean sooner where i hovered above rock bottom which is the most miserable place to be yeah you, know? you functioned you're functioning right you're you're yeah. better than so if you're struggling out there and you're using drugs to cover up feelings inside but you are productive and you are an active member of society, you're on the school board and you're on the association and you work in a professional career, you might be a drug addict. Yep. And it's okay, bro. Yeah, it's, it's okay, okay, man. Hey, listen, it's all good, man. You know, it's like all good because people love you, man. And, and, you know, you're fucking worth it, dude. You're worth something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, it, the... at the end of the day, it's like, you know, Everybody wants to cry that, you know, it's a disease and how can it be a disease is a decision. Like nobody's making the fucking decision every day to put drugs in their arm that's going to kill them mm -hmm. because they want to. Yeah. I don't care what you say. I, I know people destroy their lives and in this program, which is really, really sad and probably why I've been turned off a little bit is because I've seen so many people die because I know so many drug addicts now. Yeah, that's got to be tough, too. That's kind it's of tough. an aspect that you don't think about too much. It wasn't like that when I came around, but, you know, with the fentanyls and the car fentanyls and all those things out there now, uh, you know, I have had multiple friends die this year that I people I was close to people who reached out to me and, you know, people who we got sponsors sponsorships to treatment centers and sent them off to other states because of friends of mine and connections. And we we're able to help them. And then, you know, they make a decision and die. Um you know, it's just, it's really hard, man. It's really hard to meet new people. And, uh, but that's, you know, that's, 
the way it goes, man, is there's you, you, uh, you know, jealous institutions and death. There's nothing else. You know, it's, um, it's funny because like as a nurse, like people always thank you so much for like your service, you know, and, you know, especially now recently people shouting out healthcare professionals so much for the sacrifice they make by dealing or by making emotional connections with people and then sometimes losing them. And when I worked in trauma for those couple of years that I had that experience to the max, man. And it's funny that you just said that because it, I know that's, I know it's two different things, but just meeting families and making connections with people and patients and then, you know, losing them that it it absolutely does take a toll. It's, it's traumatic on your mind. You know, I'm not the type of person that I ever thought I would experience post-traumatic stress or anything like that. But I actually, I actually fucking went through it, dude, when I was, when I was seeing young people die all the time. So I can only imagine exactly like, I can only imagine your position. Like when you're meeting these people and you see them struggle and you want to help and you know that, you know, the road for them and you're trying to guide them down that road and then they get lost and you lose them. I can do, I mean, I can totally relate to that. And I've never done that, but just, I just see the parallels between those two things, dude. Of course. You know, it just, you know, it just kind of went off in my head. You know, uh, me and Scott are inventors on the side. We've never invented anything, but we've come up with <laughs> thousands of good ideas. Uh, a couple millionaire ideas in there, too, that we've already forgot. But, yeah, uh, you know, something just popped in my head when you said that, Scott. It's like you think about a police officer, right? Goes out to a crime or goes out to a scene and they have to discharge their firearm regardless mm-hmm. of whatever the case may be. If they have to shoot somebody or they get shot at. There's people there that they have the access to go talk to and therapies and different things like that. Like, think about all the trauma and shit that a nurse goes through, especially a young nurse. Yeah. Like, like, bro, you, you know, there should be some mandatory shit for these people. I agree that there, I agree it should be mandatory and and not not in the terms of like just making you do shit that you don't want to do because I feel like hospitals are bad at that already. But I agree yeah. that it should be mandatory because most younger people don't recognize it until after the fact. Dude. You know. Post traumatic, the the that 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 trauma, and I've experienced it before, and and dealt with it for quite some time, and it's hard to recognize. Yeah. When you're dealing with it, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a slow onset of feelings, and for at least for me, it was you know keeping it on me. Like I couldn't recognize that I was suffering from PTSD mm-hmm. uh, until somebody pointed out. It was like, dude, you sound like you have post-traumatic stress syndrome i'm like what no what yeah. are you talking about like that's yeah. that's what happened people go to again not being able to relate right i'm thinking okay that shit's for people who go to war bro mm-hmm. you know no that's not the case at all you know <laughs> yeah man um, it's just anyone that experiences trauma yeah and, and i think there's i think there's something out there to be done to kind of change that around because you know i've worked i've you know I've watched Nurse Jackie, okay? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty much an expert. Pretty much an expert on nurses and using. So, yeah. um, you know, and I've seen House before. So, yeah. So, um, I figure that's how all the ERs are. But, yeah, just that combined with Grey's, Grey's Anatomy, and you're like that. You got you got the whole experience. Oh, Grey's Anatomy, season 17. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> Is it really fucking 17 seasons? Yeah. Holy no, fuck. Just, new season just came out. Jesus I Christ. What the fuck else can they it. talk about for 17 seasons? Anyways. Bro, they're in some ghost stuff now, but that's besides oh, of the Of course they are. There's fucking nothing Flashbacks. else. Flashbacks. Yeah. They're going to have Patrick, alternate universes soon. Patrick Dempsey. 
looking all good, <laughs> fucking 50 years old. Yeah, man. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man. Well, I'm glad we can fucking talk about this today, dude. Yeah, man. I'm glad you hey, came You on. know what? I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm able to be here, show up today and be able to talk about it because uh, i tell you right now, there's a lot of people who can't. Yeah, man, that's you fucked know, up. My story is, is not special by any means, but, you know, there's so many more out there that didn't end like that. I mean, it's just the luck of the draw, man. I, I should have, you know, I could have died many times over from the situations I've been in. I'm just blessed to be here today, and I'm blessed to be on your show, and, you know. Uh, Amen, just, brother. Just just happy, man. Uh, uh, yeah, it's all uh, good things now. Life, yeah. It's all good things. Yeah. So as soon as I can stop being your friend, I will, my life, I feel like it will get better. It probably will improve significantly, dude. I'm thinking like probably like unnoticeably right away. It sucks that I moved back here because now you have to fucking hang out with me and shit. Yeah, and it's crazy too. It's because you've introduced me to such uh, like your old six month friends <laughs> uh, that I'm actually cool with now. We have a whole group of like people Scotty's left in the past. The, who the, the fucking Scotty P rejects. Yeah, the rejects, like the people he's just left <laughs> in the dust. That's Not for bigger and better things, just for different people. Just for, uh, we, just for we coming up. A, we formed a group. So the group is at like four deep right now. Um, <laughs> at least, I think it's four deep. Yeah, That's fucked four, up because Francisco members. and them, dude, they they bounced. They went to Cali, dude. I didn't leave them. Those guys left me, bro. Man, you got a, once you got that girl, bro, you were gone. Oh. Uh, yeah, you were gone. You checked out. No, no way, dude. Yeah. No way. Um, I refuse yep. this narrative. Yeah, well, I reject you know what? it. I know four of us who are hanging out together, <laughs> talking like best friends now because you brought us together. Well, see, you're welcome. Yeah, thank you for abandoning me. You're welcome. It, you know, so, sometimes when elbow. things seem hard, they're actually it's for your best, for the best interest. Yeah, I'll remember that when I sleep tonight, when my left arm is killing me. <laughs> that's another story, dude. Yeah, that's another story, but. All right, man. Well, fucking right, well, thanks for jumping on, dude. Shit up, man. Yeah, no, yeah. No problem, man. I hope it. Uh, I hope it's the biggest one. Let's get it out there. Yeah, and uh, if anybody, I'm gonna put a link in with this uh, this post for um, just some hotlines that we have that that could help anybody anybody interested in NA or or AA anybody um, National Suicide Prevention Hotline. I'm gonna have all that stuff up in up in the bio with this episode. And uh, if you guys like it, just let me know. You guys can DM me always um, at at the Bro Nurse Official on Instagram. Um, check out our Instagram um, for the podcast. It's the Bro Nurse Podcast at the Bro Nurse Podcast. Guys, like us, give us five stars on iTunes. Um, download our episodes. Tell your friends. If you ha- want to hear anything, you want to see anything specific, just let me know. Hit me up. JP, thanks for fucking jumping on, bro. Hey, thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, man, it was a good episode. Yep. Let's roll it out. All right. Cool. All right. Later, man. Later.